This is the Evolving Enterprises podcast. We are going to focus on stories of growth and transformation, particularly at the moment we're looking at transformation. I'm with Prashel, my new starter, and we're going to talk about what is transformation? How do you achieve transformation? And what are the barriers to it? Uh, How can you encourage an organization to transform and move forward? So in a nutshell, transformation really means moving from one state to another state. So you want to move from where you are to a position where you're maybe more dominant, maybe where you've got more sales, maybe where you've got less debt, <laughs> whatever it happens to be, it's, you know, you want to move from one position to another. And when I talk with chief executives, with boards of organizations, there's always a lot of frustration around this, but it should be really simple to move forward. You know, we all we need to do is whatever. Actually, the reason why an organization is where it is is because of the forces that keep it there. And those forces come from political, rational, emotional. The rational forces are bank managers saying, we can't borrow anymore. (laughs) Or, you know, the politics of the fact that you've got, you know, a director of something, a director of quality who, you know, just won't move on and won't do anything different. You know, there's there's a lot of reasons why organisations are where they are. And those forces are immensely important to look at. You know, the three areas, political, rational and emotional, are where I would very much start around what's the temperature in those, what's holding the organisation together as it is. And if it was easy, you know, it would have been done, of course. You know, people would uh, easily be able to move an organisation forward if it was straightforward, but it's not. It's about walking a, a, a sort of walk, a journey. And so I think those, those three forces are massively important to think about, you know, what's the force at the moment and where would it be? What's the, what's the resistance to this new state? Where, where do those sort of very politically dominant or where is the rational resistance to sort of force coming from? Where are those, those people who are pushing the organisation and what, what's their rationale for that? Why are they where they are? Why are they doing what they're doing? And as we start to sort of build a, a kind of, some some interest in changing we will almost always see five stages and those those five stages come from Kubler-Ross don't they (laughs) so typically you know you'd probably you've probably heard of these before called the five stages of grief but they can be applied to anything these stages are denial anger bargaining depression and acceptance and so that denial stage would be obviously, you know, you're denying whatever happened, happened. You may just ignore it. You may just completely carry on with what you're doing, like nothing happened, you know, and just completely keep denying it. You know, someone tries to talk to you about it. No, don't want to, don't even want to acknowledge it. The anger part, you know, obviously anything could trigger you, anything could set you off. You could be very angry or it might not even be visible. You might be just bottling that anger up inside. At one point you might explode, but you might just, you know, be very irritable about things. That third stage, bargaining, you, you, you start doing things thinking, oh, if I do this, you know, then it could fix or it might not, it might not have happened, you know, if I did this or, you know, you start making these very irrational bargains to try and make sense of the situation. And then the depression stage, which is quite obvious, you know, you enter a state of depression, you know, it might not be very obvious, it might be very low key, you know, it might, it might hit you hard, it might be on the verge of clinical, or it might be, you know, more just sadness. And then last is acceptance, which is always, you know, a good thing. You accept it happened and you can move on after you've accepted it. But yeah, those are the five stages. 
So if we, if we think about an office move, the five stages of grief might be exhibited when, you know, the, the you can imagine the sort of the, the managing director being sort of very buoyed by, we're going to have this big new office, we're going to have this, it's going to be wonderful, and we have all these wonderful computers, we're going to have extra space, and we're going to be able to park there, oh, and it's 30 miles down the road, but who cares about that? And, and you can imagine how that's greeted by the staff, you know, the, the MD sort of flings the door open, and the board have decided that we're going to have this amazing new office, it's located here. Yeah, the, the sort of you can just see the, the temperature you know, sort of changing, and you know, the people who've bought houses say it's never going to happen. No, it's not. It's not possible. It's it's interesting. An office move is is one of those where you see people in in different places very very quickly. So maybe the new graduates would would be all the way through to acceptance. If you're if you're a new graduate, you've rented a room for a few weeks, and you know you you can get out sort of any time. You can give a month's notice. It's not a big deal. Maybe actually it's quite a great thing because there's going to be some you know sort of positions that will become you know vacant. Maybe you can get a promotion out of it. Maybe you know so actually maybe it's something that for somebody who feels that their location is 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 you know something that they can change very easily. That's that's great. They're all the way through to acceptance in no time but the sort of the, the the manager of something who's who's just remortgaged everything that he or she owns to to buy a house with you know right next door to the school for the children particularly want to be driving say 30 miles down the road you know in the morning and 30 miles up the road in the in the evening or moving house away from that school that they've only just about managed to get their children into so you can imagine the sort of well no it's it's not going to happen it's just it's not possible you can you can see them going through the denial and and then you know when denial doesn't work anymore the the anger phase of how could you possibly without even telling me if you told me that three months ago i wouldn't have bought this house i bought this to stay with your company you can really imagine the desk being pounded and the the the, the md sort of thinking well this wasn't what we thought about you know we, we just wanted to get the best for everybody and then the, the the sort of the bargaining can't i just work from home can't i do this and ultimately when they're on three you know you, you need access to the finance system that's only going to be available right okay so uh, depression sinks in and as you said depression can come in different forms there can be really severe clinical depression and, and and it is possible for things like this to push people to the point of absolute clinical depression as the line manager for quite a lot of people who had that sort of move a move of you know a considerable distance i saw it all i, I saw the people who were still in denial until the, the removal van arrived you know at mm. their desk you know and that this they'd been given years to plan for this i saw the people who went through you know quite severe depression in the run-up to and post move i've I've seen people who just went to acceptance in no time, and it did very much depend on you know where you were. If you're if 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 you were relatively kind of portable, if you were at your the sort of stage in life where you'd had a move and a move and a move, and it really wasn't a big deal, then yes, you could accept that move easily. But for those people who had bought a house and were pretty stuck where they were and had partners who were, you know, working in different places, it was a very difficult thing to negotiate. And some so, people really don't like change. Like mm. change is something that can really set people off. Some people really do not react well with change. And so, yeah, mm. that can really send people into a state of depression. Mm, absolutely, it can. And there are there are sort of organisations. It very much it, it depends on the organisational culture. The organisations that are more static, like you know, I, was, I go back to the concrete industry a lot because you know, not not a lot's changed in the concrete industry. You know, we were making concrete in Roman times, and okay, they were making it with shovels and things, but you know, it's not changed that much. We have concrete plants now, but it's the same process. It's the same way of doing things. So probably in organisations like the concrete industry, you would find people who are fairly set in their ways. Well, this is the way we've always done it. <laughs> you want to build a new concrete 
group like good luck <laughs> you know <laughs> so but you're right there are there are some people whereas of course in the computer games industry you know computer games companies come and go very very quickly and so you know you don't want to be too wedded to i work here i do this this is you know etc it's all going to change it's going to change very very quickly and the, it's an industry where People are used to organisations going bust and moving on. Uh, You know, that is the fact of life that companies do go down. Whereas in the more staid industries, you know, if you told the concrete workers, I'm afraid we've gone bust, they would what? You've done what? That's not possible. We never go bust. (laughs) Everybody needs concrete. So exactly. Back to denial. Back to denial. And so... How do we thinking about transforming organizations? You know, that's that's those five stages are really useful. It's interesting actually when we when we think a bit more sort of broadly around it. Elizabeth Kubler Ross, who came up with the, the five stages of grief, working with people who've been given a terminal diagnosis, she she actually said, you know, this this is only applicable to people given a terminal diagnosis. And everybody else in the world uses it for management of change, <laughs> use it for you know a, a whole lot of different things. And I think the key is these these stages very much apply for people who were given something that really you know moves them to the core if if you if you're given a sort of notice that you're going to be working in another place it's three miles down the road and you can get there easily and it doesn't matter yeah. that doesn't you know it's like water off a duck's back it just doesn't matter at all but if you're given notice that you're you know you're, you're going to iceland you know your job's relocating to iceland next week and what <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's got to be things that shake you to the core and this is the thing about transformation it does shake an organization to the core if it didn't, it would have been done. If it was just about buying a new computer or putting a new suite of uh, software or something, then it would be done. But what we're looking at often is um, making changes that are uncomfortable to people, mm. that really are sort of pushing against the political and rational and emotional forces in the organisation. And so how do we use that? How do we use the five stages to get through that? Well, if I if I talk about a project that was really, really, really stuck. So it's a classic civil service project, had a, a board that just kept on denying the evidence that was brought to them. So the, the idea was to um, get a critical national capability that spanned multiple government departments well. And so in order to do that, we, we had to move it on from where it was. But you could only move it on if you knew what you wanted to get to and where you were in the first place. So that's just what I prepared for them. Where are we now? Stock take of, you know, what, what's the, the current situation? How is it declining? Where is it declining? What's it likely to be in the future? And what do we want to do to, mm. to improve that? And every time that the board chair and the board themselves saw the, the evidence, they kept saying, no, 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 it can't possibly be. They were absolutely, they were like broken records in this sort of denial phase. No, no, don't accept this. And they sent expert panel after expert panel to look at it. And eventually they they had to accept that we weren't where we were they had to go through that sort of bargaining phase of well could we could we adjust could we you know could we do something else Um, and ultimately we we got through to acceptance but the key in moving that on was really the you know just to keep going on about the sort of here's the rational view of where we are it was rational evidence that led to political change and, and led people to sort of work through that emotional journey and that's so important to, to know what your catalyst is. In any consultancy assignment um, on, on any transformation activity, there's always a turning point. Um, and the turning point generally comes when people will um, accept, first of all, that you're there to um, to do something useful for them. Um, you know, secondly, that you are um, you know helping as an agent for change. And thirdly, that actually there's, there's a real, you know, sort of, ground truth to the situation they'll accept the reality of of where we are 
And, and that's that's so important. That's really the only way of being able to move an organisation through. So I would always be looking to, to sort of encourage and help the board, the key stakeholders to move through that journey. I'd be looking for, you know, where people are kind of going back. Where's the, you know, we've, we've got to, we've got to some bargaining, but then we're back to denial. Why are we back to denial? Why, why do we keep slipping back to that phase? What is it that's needed? What evidence? A good question to ask is, what would be needed for you to accept this? <laughs> you know, and what, what, what would, it, what would it take? You know, what would it take to make that decision? What would it take to move you forward? How bad would things have to be before you, you make that decision? Now, there are some tough decisions. You know, decisions like you know, letting staff go. You know, particularly your staff who've been with an organisation for quite a long time. They're maybe not what the organisation needs in the future, or if the organisation just has to go and slim down. Those are really tough decisions. They're awful, particularly for people who've got that um, sort of mentality of growth. It's, it's really, really hard. And so a question I often ask is, well, where would you have to be? How, how close to the edge would you have to be before you made that decision? And if people have got a sense of what that would have to be, at least they know where they can ultimately make that, that decision. And working in that very political, very emotional and rational space, I think it's key to just constantly keep sort of taking the temperature of those uh, those places. What is the political, emotional and rational temperature today? How has it moved? How has it changed? How has it moved on? And so... That, that journey of moving from one state to another, it's, it's far from straightforward. It's not a sim- simple kind of Gantt chart spreadsheet of, you know, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, and it's going to achieve um, X. Actually, you have to spend quite a while, you know, working with people in, you know, where they are in that space. It's no good talking about, you know, the new office if someone's in denial. It's more about, you know, how do you, you know, what would you need to see? What's, what evidence would you need to see that this is a good idea to move forward? What evidence would you need to see and how, how would you deal with that? And what, um, you know, what could be great for you? We talked about sort of ways uh, before, didn't we, about uh, sort of moving people from depression mm-hmm. and um, recognising that there's, there's depression there. So I can't do anything about you know, clinical depression if, if people are suffering from, you know, a real medical condition. They've got to kind of you know, seek help from professionals. But in terms of the, the everyday slump, the, you know, the issues that people face on a daily basis, dealing with that kind of depression can sometimes be sort of you know, helped by thinking about what brought people to the organisation in the first place. Yeah. You know, how do you, how do you move somebody forward if they're, if they're the sort of the, the chief um, finance person, but actually they came to the organisation because they really wanted to be able to um, sort of help a company to grow financially and to, to establish a, a strong operating base. But actually their job is very much around just, just doing the numbers, just preparing the report. And they've kind of lost that spark and enthusiasm. What does it take to get that back? What does it take to to reconnect with that that joy that you know they once had in that role? Mm-hmm. And, you know, children can exhibit joy all the time. I often go back to to sort of you know the the if you if you look around a classroom of say eleven year olds, they they find joy in a whole lot of things. Yeah. I, I love talking to classrooms of eleven year olds. So mm-hmm. as, as chair of governors of one of my local schools, one of the, the the most fun things is going in and seeing the the year sixes, the sort of the eleven year olds, just as they're finishing in their their current school, and talk to them about what they want to do. What are their hopes for the future? What is it that they want to do? What what roles do they want to have and loads of things that come up that you know if I'd, if I'd suggested to my careers advisor you know that I wanted to be a narrowcaster they'd have said what <laughs> want to what <laughs> don't, don't be so silly go off and go and work in an office and get yourself a proper you know you can imagine what what my my careers advisor would have said that's the last thing I say to those children because actually it's wonderful to see that sort of um, that kind of magic of I would I would love to do this and if you'd really love to do it then you'll get to do it mm-hmm. so can we reconnect the people who are you know 
feeling depressed, feeling sort of, you know, just that they're not really getting much out of their working day. Can we reconnect them with that spark that originally brought them to, okay. to that career? Can we reconnect them with the joy that they they had sort of walking into a, an office and seeing this wonderful, I don't know, software or hardware in in, in place? What about the, the joy of connecting with some customers for the first time and finding that what they did was really useful? What can we do to bring that to them? Because that can really help them get through those, those stages. Um, like motivating, yeah, reconnecting people with that motivation, with that mm. motivation to, you know, move forward because without motivation, you won't be able to transform, you won't be able to move forward, you won't be able to, you know, things won't work out without that motivation. That motivation is key for so many things, for change, for so many things. You know, if you think about it in a psychological perspective, you know, a psychologist who is carrying out uh, therapy with their client, it won't work at all if the client isn't motivated. You know, it's all good. You know, the psychologist has all these strategies and things in place that they can use to help the client. But if the client is not motivated to change, they don't want to change, then it won't get anywhere. You know, in CBT, for example, they um, often assign a lot of homework homework <laughs> to the clients and the clients can easily just go home and decide not to do it because they don't want to. They don't feel motivated to change. And so that motivation is very key in transformation and changing. And so it'd be very key in businesses as well to build that motivation back up, that joy back up. Like, what, why is it you want to do this so that you can actually move forward? Yeah. It is, absolutely. I mean, cognitive behavioural therapy, it's, it's amazing at, at transforming people. As you say, it's its only going to work uh, if you want to do that. Mm -hmm. You've got to be really focused. There's there's a study, and we talked about this some, some while ago, that, that the study that was done on the success rate of heart surgery mm -hmm. many, many years ago, when heart surgery was really, really risky, you were sort of, you know, your chances of living for years beyond the, the operation were very, very limited. The people who, you know, the people who are high risk, according to the, you know, the surgeons and the anaesthetists, could could live for quite a long time. People who are low risk could die on the operating table. There's no correlation from the anaesthetists or the the surgeons between high risk and death rate. But when they looked at the correlation between the psychologist and you know, the people who died, a lot of the high risk people died. A lot of the low risk people lived for you know some months, years afterwards, and so. We, we know that there's a link between people, you know, people's health and mm -hmm. their, you know, psychological state. If mm -hmm. you feel really motivated, Stephen Hawking lived for a very, very long time after mm -hmm. his, he had, I think, a three-year diagnosis when he got motor neuron disease. He was likely to live for three years beyond that. And he was the oldest person to live with motor neuron disease. And that was because he had this real desire just to keep going, mm -hmm. keep on going and, you know, get through whatever was there. If we can encourage people to do that, that helps us with transformation because, you know, in trans transforming organisations, organisations aren't faceless kind of pieces of concrete. They're, they're organisations that are full of people. And those people, if they feel sufficiently motivated and sufficiently engaged, they will transform into that new state. They will move forward. The last stage of the of Kubler-Ross, the sixth stage of the five-stage model <laughs> that was added with, with the blessing of the Kubler-Ross family and her estate was legacy. This was added in after Elizabeth's death, but actually that's a very important state. And it's one that I, I often go to when I'm, I'm looking at sort of boards of, of organisations. So in the stages of, of, of death, etc., you know, the, the legacy state means what's going to change as a result of this death? You know, a, a death in a family is a tragedy. You know, a, a death is, is the most awful thing we have to deal with because, you know, the person we, we loved is, is no longer there. But if they've, say, been in a car accident and you know that the junction that they were 
killed horn has been you know modified it's been changed there's been speed restrictions put in there are big speed humps so no one else can suffer that death again that's that's an example of legacy that people feel okay well that death wasn't totally wasted it, it was it, that's right it wasn't in vain exactly there's been a change as a result no one's going to have to suffer the way we have and so it becomes perhaps slightly easier to to live with death is is, is an awful thing to live with at the you know at, at any time but it becomes that sort of sense of well at least the death wasn't as you say in vain it wasn't something and um, that you know someone else is going to go through exactly the same thing in another few months so legacy is important legacy also matters in an organization because you know one of the questions i would ask a board right at the beginning of a strategy activity is what is your legacy in 10 years time what do you want to look back on what are you going to be proud of what is it that you're there to do and some organizations say well we're here to make money no no you're not here to make money you can make money doing anything why are you here why are you in the widget business the education business the the defense business why is it that you're in this business what is it that you want to do what is it that you want people to be proud of what will be your legacy and so if we can get through to sort of you know that, that stage of thinking about you know the legacy of all this it puts it all in perspective it's, it's so much easier to put things in perspective. Mm. The trials of today, the, the, the issues, et cetera, when you get people to draw a big, long timeline and you say, this is your whole life. Okay, today's not so great, but what about all the other great things that have happened in yeah. your life? It's that, that, that's the, the perspective. The legacy is the thing that will help enormously in um, cementing that and thinking about how that, that will work. So the, the process of transforming is, is really moving from one stage to another, one stake to another, one um, position to another, an outdated business model to a new business model that's more connected. Um, and it's about working through that, that set of originally five states, the, the denial, anger, bargaining, depression and acceptance. And then ultimately the sixth state, legacy. What is the legacy that's going to be left by this organization? As a consultant, that's the, the work that I've done over, over many years is, uh, is essentially work with with groups of people, with individuals. I've coached people through those states. And, and that's that's what enables change. If we think about that on the political, rational, and emotional sort of set of sort of parameters, we can we can really engage change. We can move people forward. It's it's a, a tough journey. It's a tough journey for everyone involved. But navigating that journey well leads to taking an organization that's not really very viable, that's not really doing very well. And it turns it around and it makes it a real star. It makes it something that everyone is proud to work with. So it's a journey that's really worth walking. This is the Evolving Enterprises podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you.